أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم Dear brothers and sisters السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته and welcome to this Elmfeed podcast episode Today I have with me a guest uh, who we've had before alhamdulillah and she's kindly agreed to come on again albeit virtually uh, because of lockdown etc um, I have with me today Um Talha Um Talha, as you may remember, uh, is the head of an organization called Marital Arts. Uh, and, you know, they, they run events and classes uh, to help people uh, improve their marriages and to support them um, and to support marriages in general. Uh, um Talha, assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalamu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. How are you? I'm um, well, alhamdulillah. How are you? Alhamdulillah, I'm fine. Um, um Talha, mm-hmm. tell us, uh, we've just been in lockdown and, you know, obviously things are starting to open up and, you know, things are going back to normal. Mm-hmm. We're both in London. Um, during lockdown, uh, I don't know about you, but I was getting contacted by a few people um, and it seemed that the whole kind of COVID situation, unfortunately, it seemed to have caused uh, families to really struggle mm. at times. Uh, I wonder what your thoughts have been during this time, you know, what your observations have been with people, um, you know, during this lockdown period, what kind of issues have been raised? I'd love to hear from you. Mm. Well, first of all, um, thank you for inviting me to the show again. And it's always a pleasure to have a discussion with you and talk about issues relating to marriage, family life, parenting, because I think these are the issues that are being faced by many Muslims daily, on a daily basis. It's really good to discuss these issues and look for some solutions that we can try to take on board so that we can improve our family life, improve our relationship. So um, in, the, in the community, I saw actually two types of trends. I saw one type where a lot of family were quite happy, the fact that they had time together, they were able to spend you know, um, quality moments together, and be in each other's company. And uh, they did not feel that uh, there was a lot of restraint with regards to their time. So they enjoyed the relaxed timetable and had the opportunity to bond so well. And they were quite grateful to have, you know, the blessing in disguise, uh, time with their family during lockdown. So the relationship was thriving, alhamdulillah. Then on the other side, I saw, I heard of stories where Perhaps there were tensions before lockdown and during the lockdown, what happened, these uh, issues that were niggling beneath the surface, they basically came to the surface and really all came out and people were having a lot of uh, disagreements, irritation and arguments because in lockdown, there was no escape. You had to just deal with your problem. So... If you look at the bigger picture, it, 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 it's almost like, you know, um, facing up to 
people's problems that were there, but maybe in the past, people weren't addressing these problems. So lockdown made people face up to their problems and deal with it and decide what they want to do in order to carry on and move forward. And of course, we've heard stories, you know, really sad stories where people are suffering from say, domestic abuse and violence and so on and so forth. But, you know, in any case, uh, made people think about the relationship on a serious uh, level and in a way for them to really think what is it that they want out of the relationship. And I guess the pressure of being together during lockdown made people uh, take their relationship seriously and posed a question, they want to carry on. And if they do, then they need to look for ways to improve their relationship. So there's more harmony in the family home. I don't know, did you notice any kind of trends like that to yourself, Fatima? Um, SubhanAllah. Uh, well, um, I guess I'll talk from experience because I, I think sometimes, you know, people look at people like us and, you know, they hear from us and they think maybe, you know, uh, we don't struggle, right? So um, uh, sometimes I like to share, like, you know, my own struggles or experiences because it reminds all of us, I guess, that we're mm. in this together. You know, we all at different times of life and different stages and different situations, we all have our struggles. Um, and perhaps in sharing, you know, we can help each other. Mm. So I think, um, yeah, I think initially there was like, it was quite shocking, you know, to like, like you said, that intensity of being at home, you know, uh, all the schools closed, everyone just, you know, being at home, etc. And um, I have no idea why, but I started becoming very, very emotional during that time. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I think I even did one or two um, kind of online talks and things. And, and I, you can tell that I was very, very emotional. And a few people even contacted me and said, are you okay, you know? Um, I don't know why that was. Uh, I can't put my finger on it exactly. But I would say that I think any type of change um, can be quite disconcerting, you know? Mm -hmm. Especially when you had certain things planned out, you know, or you got used to a certain way of being with your family, a certain routine. And then, like you said, that intensity of everyone together, uh, not really having any kind of respite from one another. Obviously, there were positive things that came out of that. You know, there were lots of positive things as well. You know, uh, having to kind of re, I would say, reassess your routine. Uh, mm. You could sort of get rid of some unnecessary stuff, right, from your routine. And then you could introduce some positive things. Uh, new things I would say so in that yeah. sense it was great but definitely I think you know it was a time when you really started noticing your own I would say flaws you know mm. <laughs> you know your own like character flaws or things that trigger you in terms of uh, you know your temper or stress etc and you, you just became I think a little bit more aware of that mm -hmm. um, and 
the types of uh, kind of phone calls I was getting from people were, were things like, you know, one sister contacted me and she felt that, you know, uh, there was a lot of negativity in the house now, you know, mm. uh, during lockdown, it, it had kind of gotten worse. And, uh, you know, she said that her, her spouse was, he had uh, quite a lot of anger issues. And so, mm you know, she felt that that was being exacerbated during this time, mm. or at least it was being magnified. Mm. Um, so, you know, being in lockdown and then all the negativity was making her feel worse and she was just asking advice, you know, mm. what should I do in that kind of situation? Um, mm. Other people I noticed for them, things got really serious, you know, mm. like, and I know I read a few articles online where, you know, people mm. literally inquiries about divorce basically mm. went up you know, mm. during uh, COVID. And that's generally in the general population. Mm. And obviously, as Muslims, we're in the general population as well. Of we're course. part of this society. So I'm sure that, you know, people had challenges. Uh, yeah. People had points where they felt, oh, my God, I can't deal with this or you know, things like that. And I just feel like, you know, maybe we can offer some solace, some words of advice. Maybe you can, you know, share with us some yeah. of your thoughts. You know, if during lockdown or even not during lockdown, if after lockdown, mm. people have started to feel that there are differences, you know, mm. um, I would say that they feel are irritated irreconcilable right mm -mm. what would your advice be to sisters mm. who come to you and say to you you know mm. i think i'm married to the wrong person you know or something like that what, what yeah. would you say to them yeah well i think one other thing that one has to remember is any change in our life is going to have an impact on our general well-being you know, not just uh, marriage, but general well-being. So we have to come to terms with these, you know, changes and readjust. And that means uh, the relationship has to be readjusted. So um, lockdown is not the time to be thinking, okay, um, my relationship is not working. Because you have to remember all these stresses. Some people have lost jobs. There's at home, there's uh, anxiety about ill health, so many challenges that we're dealing with. On top of that, if you think about our relationship and uh, how it's been affected, of course, it's going to have an impact on our relationship. But it doesn't mean that, you know, your relationship is no good and it's not going to last. It's important for us to think rationally and look at, okay, where is the problem? And what am I feeling negative about my relationship? Is there room for communication with my spouse? Is there room for reconciliation? Because during lockdown, alhamdulillah, one thing has come about is accessibility to different services because a lot of people were offering things online, whether it's lectures, counseling, mediation mm -hmm. services. So it was very easy to access these services. So it means that if couple were facing problems, now is the good time to access these services without feeling that you are, you know, um, going out of your way or feeling this shame or embarrassment of walking into a counselling 
session because everything was done from home. So I would say try to understand what's going on in the relationship. Try to understand what's going on with you because sometimes when changes happen, as women, you know, I know for sure I can relate to you, Fatima. During lockdown, I was quite, um, uh, what can I say? Not emotional, but I was quite upset the fact that I couldn't see some of my loved ones. I couldn't see my friends. I couldn't meet up with you even, subhanAllah. So, of course, a lot of our social interaction ha was changed, and that's going to have an impact on our well-being, general well-being. So you have to understand that it's something that's affecting everyone, from children to young people to adults to older generation. So your relationship will be affected to some level, not having privacy because children are at home, not having that time where you can bond with your spouse because there's much going on, there's stress. Maybe your husband has lost his job, made redundant. So all of those external issues would have an impact on your relationship. So it's, it's very important to understand and what can I say, diagnose the problem closely and then think, okay, how can we make it better? And of course, there is steps to addressing these marital issues and looking at for a resolution. And then if all if you have tried all the steps and it's not working, of course, you can consider, you know, a way out. But that should be the last resort, because many a times we find. Yeah. Sorry, yes, Karen. To have, you know, maybe conflicts within themselves, you know, and maybe mm -hmm. they need to, you know, address certain personal issues. And then they can bring more to the table and, you know, offer things more into the relationship. You see, if yeah. a person has a problem in their marriage, then they feel, okay, divorce, you know, is, is going to fix it. Well, the thing is, if you have a problem, you don't address it, even if you divorce and you know remarry, the problem is not gonna go away just by you divorcing. That problem will just travel right. along with you. So you have to address certain issues. Well, even even before mentioning, you know, the D word, right? Even before mentioning divorce, I would say, subhanAllah, you know, you know, they say never write a letter when you're angry, right? <laughs> you know, like why do they say that? Why why do we have that saying like that's kind of like advice that our elders used to give us, right? Like don't write an important letter or an important reply to a message when you're in a heightened state of emotion, right? Mm -hmm. I think the reason is because later on when you're not angry and you read that letter back, you'll realize how terrible it sounds, you know, mm -hmm. and how you your feelings might have changed, right? Yeah. So yeah. I think it's really important for people not to make huge life decisions of course. Um, in a state of stress, when you are mm. in a state of, you know, when things are abnormal, that's yeah. not yeah. the time to be mm. making huge life decisions. In fact, mm. that's the time to be kind of, I would say, to go into mode. Yeah. Yeah. You know, some kind of preservation mode where you're literally realizing, subhan and, and that's what sabr is, isn't it? Yeah, of course. Sabr, of course. patiently persevering, mm. is that mode where you realize that, okay, there's something uh, different that's mm. taking place. It's an extra level of pressure on my family at the moment. I can't, yeah. I can't use this period of time to judge, you know, what life is going to be like long term. Not at all, right? Because because it's not a normal period of time. 
So it's a global musiba, this lockdown. So we have to take yeah. it like that. It's a time where we will be tested. And if the relationship was rocky, be locked down, then of course this time is going to have a greater impact. Yeah. So I think um, you're very right in saying that, you know, this is not the time to be making such life-changing decision. You're just going to uh, add on extra challenges, you know, in this difficult period. However, you know, um, I would say that, you know, uh, lockdown has brought about a lot of introspection on relationship in general. You know, people have started to reevaluate yeah. their relationship with their loved ones because we had to socially isolate. Not, sorry, not just in marriage, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, of course, so, we, couldn't, we couldn't meet our elders, right? Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. And I don't think people realised how important these relationships and connections are because we just took yeah. it for granted. I mean, I talk for myself. You know, I used to get together every Saturday with my side of the family. When lockdown took place, I, I felt as if my evenings were a bit like, you know, I felt lost because... It was taken that, you know, Saturday evening I'll meet together with my family members and I really miss them and I realise how important such relationships are that we take it for granted. Oh, we can, we're going to meet up with the family. Also, some of my friends I couldn't see. I realised how important those relationships are that sometime in life we get so busy and we think that, you know, we don't have time. But lockdown showed us that certain things you have to make time for because they make you feel as a whole person. You know, they give you a lot of joy and they make you feel like, you know, you're present, you know, and, and they make you feel alive because the people that you share your life with, you know, it makes your life what it is, alhamdulillah. So I guess yeah. it's an introspection um, for all types of relationship. I think uh, another thing is that a lot of the time in these kinds of situations, we th we put the like if we're facing problems or if we're noticing clashes with our spouse or other family members we tend to uh put the blame on them or we we think there's some character problem with that person or you know with the situation but actually a lot of the time i think especially in lockdown i think one of the things that what one of the, th the real problems was not actually that you know your personalities are cl clashing or you've got differences that you cannot reconcile etc cetera, etc cetera. a lot of the time it was just about being more organized and i know <laughs> that it sounds like i'm being really i'm oversimplifying things mm -hmm. but subhanallah if you're using the same space now for mm -hmm. everything everyone is working from home everyone is doing all of their activities you know maybe children are studying people trying to get essays done, you know, because during lockdown, I was, I had exams and things like that. So there is this stress and then more, you're eating at home more, right? So there's more mess, there's more mess to clear up. There's more, yeah, yeah. there's more to be done, right? So I think sometimes the stress of that or mm -hmm. the fact that now you actually have to get reorganized. You have mm -hmm. to actually start allocating space and saying, look, yeah have a family meeting you know you need to have a family meeting and say guys you know we we need to work this out we're gonna we don't know how long we're gonna be in this situation and uh, we want to sit down we're gonna work out what each of our needs are mm. and then what space in the house is needed by whom right mm. and who's gonna be doing these chores you know who's gonna be doing these different jobs to prevent overwhelm right 
so I know that it sounds like I'm oversimplifying it, but actually I think sometimes the clashes that take place are actually over things that are quite easy to solve if we are willing to like pinpoint, actually, what is it? What is it that's causing yeah. this argument? Or what is it that's caused this, this tension, right? Is it actually just that, you know, our personalities are completely different? No, it's probably not that. It's probably just that you now have to renegotiate your relationship. You have to renegotiate the space that you're sharing together as a family, right? Yeah, I think uh, being at home has brought about a lot of strain into the family dynamics and resources, mm -hmm. of course, sharing it between the family members has been a uh, challenge. Uh, I mean, like people who live in, say, you know, small accommodation, you know, um, or any accommodation when they're together in one under one roof, obviously there's going to be a level of irritation and annoyance. You have to kind of create your own, you know, space, personal space that you can get away from the family and have time to yourself or even have time yeah. where you can study or do your thing, you know. Um, so having uh, understanding between family members, okay, this time I'm going to be using the room or living room, but therefore please do not disturb. So having that communication so that there is understanding so you can have your own space. Yeah. Definitely would help to uh, prevent a lot of arguments, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, conflicts. Also, being together, of course, everyone's eating together, everyone's, you know, eating home, there's more, you know, um, mess being made. And of course, the question is, uh, who's going to clean up after these mess that's been, you know, yeah. <laughs> made? So responsibility, uh, sharing it fairly makes it easy on the homemaker or the mother or the wife in the house. And I know many sisters have complained that during lockdown, it seems like I'm forever cooking and I'm forever cleaning and I'm forever tidying up because obviously members of the home are inside the house and of course, you know, living <laughs> creates mess, you know, and uh, sometimes that can create a lot of irritation and a lot of, you know, um, arguments. And you might think, okay, we've got a problem in our relationship, but no, it's some simple things of understanding, okay, you know what, we need to share the load because everyone's sharing the space and so we need to share the load. Maybe like, you know, having a, a, a you know, like a discussion, look, you know, we're together. Uh, like what you said, family meeting is a great thing, you know, because, you know, any, any place you see a group of people together working or being together, there has to be communication and the communication is done through meeting together. So family meeting is Excellent. I remember when the lockdown took place, we were discussing, okay, how should we spend the time effectively? What should we do? Okay, maybe it's a good thing that, you know, we're together. Maybe we could pray together. So having that time where we can understand, yeah. okay, yeah. how can we do things actively, you know? So we thought, okay, we're together. So maybe we can include some kind of reminder. So, you know, thinking productively, there can be time where we can come together, we can eat together now that we're all under the same roof. There has to be time where we go off and do our thing as well. So um, family meetings are excellent. Family meetings, yeah. SubhanAllah, you know, uh, you reminded me that one of the things, I would say there are a few things that really helped and I'm just going to share them so that, you know, maybe other people could benefit from this. Um, one of the things that really helped is we actually wrote down the times that we were going to pray in Jama'ah in the house, mm. right? And we just wrote it down and it was put in front in, in our... Uh, sitting room you know 
prayer area. And that way, instead of there being like arguments or, mm. you know, stress about getting everybody together and the, everyone knew at the beginning of the day what the times mm. for the prayer are going to be for the mm. prayer in Jama'ah. And that way, and we, we allocated that the job of like leading the prayer and calling everybody to my eldest son. So mm. in a way, it kind of made things a lot smoother, just setting that time. And I, I know it mm. sounds like a simple thing, right? Yeah. But without setting the times, what was happening is, you know, literally either people don't pray in Jama'ah or mm. you're literally going around calling everybody and getting tired, right? like getting everybody together at a particular time. So mm -hmm. just by doing a simple thing such as setting the prayer times for the week, you know, yeah. uh, as a family really made a difference. Another thing that really, I would say, got me through lockdown, I don't know if you can identify with this, is very soon into lockdown, I contacted my, um, my one of my teachers in Egypt and I said, I need daily Quran class with you, right? <laughs> you know, like, obviously, I know how to read Quran. I've, you know, I've got an ijazah, subhanAllah, you know, in, in reciting Quran. That's not the reason why I needed a teacher. I needed somebody to help me get disciplined about reciting and memorizing Quran every single morning, you know? Mm. And obviously, we each know ourselves best and I knew that if I do not have a teacher who is going to phone me at a particular time in the morning it's just not going to happen you know mm -hmm. uh, simply because there's so much you know so much to do etc and so just instituting that half an hour a day throughout the whole of lockdown half an hour first thing in the morning I had a Quran recitation or Quran memorization class which I would attend with my teacher in Egypt over Zoom. And I'm telling you that that half an hour was like the power station for the whole day, you know? Mm -hmm. um, it always gave me something to reflect on. You know, it just made my heart feel alive during yeah. that, that time. And, um, you know, we even had two deaths in our family, like in our extended family in India. Uh, so obviously that kind of made things even more emotional, I think, you know, mm -hmm. um, but I would say that Quran in the morning and then a daily walk, which I was having straight after that, uh, mm. in a way, those were my self-care, you know, mm. <laughs> I re remember last time, Abdalha, we talked about self-care quite mm. a lot. Of course, yeah. Um, and I really think that, you know, Quran and exercise Mm. Were my self care during um, during this period. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's a very good point that you raised. I, I don't think uh, we can stress enough the importance of having Quran on a regular basis, especially you know uh, in the morning. You know, in the Quran You know, the Quran recitation in the morning is a very blessed thing to do. And uh, I too, you know, when lockdown took place, I was reevaluating re my schedule for the day and the week and I was thinking okay alhamdulillah there's no rush for I can easily try to do this that maybe before there was a lot of time constraint or I can easily do that and you know not feel that okay I can't you know lie in a bit 
longer because obviously the timetable in London in the UK is different to other parts of the world. We don't have the luxury of having afternoon khaylula like people do in other parts of the world. So give, given the fact that we had lockdown, we were relaxed with regards to you know the timing and alhamdulillah when Ramadan came, I'm sure you have heard many people say that it was one of the best Ramadan because there was no rush in even iftar or taraweeh. You can really enjoy your you know night prayers because there was nothing to kind of you know um rush for you know because people were working from home alhamdulillah it was a blessing in disguise so before we move on uh um talha to speaking about how to raise a hafiz because that was one of the topics that we we're going to talk about um i guess one of the last thing that we can kind of say to people is you know if you are having challenges and you were having challenges that you know quite major and that you feel that really needed resolving then there's no shame and there's no harm in seeking help from marital counselors right and therapists of course this is something that i personally feel very strongly about because i have seen over the years many sisters because obviously my work is with sisters women they uh, have um, come to me thinking that their marriage is over and then when i was listening and uh, talking to them i realized actually marriage is not the main issue like i said in the previous podcast there are other things that's going on in 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 the sister's life and she must address those issues and uh, believe it or not through through conversation uh, i was able to identify with the sister where the tension was coming from and uh, alhamdulillah you know sometime uh, people may think the marriage is the problem but actually there are other factors that's causing strain in the relationship when you know um when they could you give us uh, some examples could you give us some examples of okay so for example a husband is going through uh, pressures at work yeah so um that is making him very irritated and uh you know the sister is thinking okay why is he always irritated you know he seems always very annoyed very angry you know have i done something of course men behave different to women you know and um, he may feel like okay he doesn't want to burden her with his troubles at work so he may not speak to her about it he may just withdraw and that may make her feel well he's not you know showing any affection he's not responding he's not talking to me he's just going into a man cave Yeah. but if you really think about it you know if you were to speak to the man separately and say okay what's going on he would say you know that you know he's going through financial difficulties he doesn't know what to do he feels like you know he's not able to provide for the family and that is causing a lot of stress it's giving him with all symptoms so you know he's going through his own issues it's got nothing to do with the marriage he's actually worried for the family but mm. you know the system may take the wrong end of the stick you know and how are we going to resolve this by you know communicating and understanding okay where are we coming from you know and that's why you know the husband and wife Allah described it as libas why because we are there for covering and protecting and comforting each other you know just trying to understand okay what's going on why is he like mm-hmm. this trying to address issues you know other situation where maybe you you'd find that you know like children they're going through some kind of uh, troubling uh, you know episodes in their life and that may take the mother away from you know the the father because she's really stressed so external factors put a lot of strain in the relationship 
And it's yeah. important for us to evaluate, okay, what's going on in my life? You know, even the pandemic has an impact on the relationship. We're always trying to think and understand what's happening in the relationship, what's happening in the family home. Sometimes, mm. you know, death in the family home and have such a huge impact. People are emotional, they're grieving, they're going through trauma. You know, of course, it's going to have a, you know, impact on the relationship. So we have yeah. to be mindful of changes, ill health. Many people fell ill. That has an impact on the relationship. That has an impact on the family home. Who's going to who's going to clean? You know, who's going to, you know, do the chores that, you know, was done all the time. So it kind of creates new dynamic, new new challenge for the family to deal with. And of course, it's going to, you know, into the relationship but what i'm saying is that whenever you feel like oh my marriage is yeah. you know um, not working don't just think it's the relationship think about the external factors that are causing impact in your relationship and try to address them uh, logically mm. yeah and, and 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 try to always always seek help because you might be surprised a telephone call with a counselor you know a you know advice from a scholar may just fix the problem, may just help you to identify what the problem is. Because sometimes when you're in the problem, it's very hard to see yeah. what the you know, um, issue is. But when you speak to somebody, they can immediately say, you know what, I think you are actually quite stressed. And when you're stressed, sometimes everything seems too much for you because you've got a lot on mm. in your plate. I think people feel afraid, don't they, to make that take that first step to reaching out to a counselor but subhanallah one of the things that you know you realize <clears throat> when you work with people is that actually you know when it comes to this the services that are out there uh there are different types obviously there's marriage counseling there's therapy there's also uh mediation that scholars islamic scholars uh provide right um and muslim counselors as well so I think whether it's Muslim or non-Muslim counsellors, uh, one of the things people can be reassured with is that they're very discreet. You know, uh, I know that a lot of families probably think, you know, nobody nobody's having these problems except me, right? Uh, but believe believe me, those counsellors they've heard everything already. You know, there's nothing that you're going to be telling them that they're going to be surprised with. You know, mm -hmm. they've got a lot of experience a lot of the time. So it's definitely an avenue worth exploring because, you know, one of the things I think is that, look, uh, before you're going to make any kind of big decision or you're going to kind of um, even think about something negative within your marriage, what you want to do is you want to try to you know, exhaust all the different avenues that there are um, in trying to fix things, right? In trying to make things better. Um, and that can be introspection, your own, you know, an analysis, etc. But it can also take the form of mediation, you know, in a very discreet way. No need for the whole neighborhood to know, no need for anyone to know, actually, yeah, except yeah. those people who are trying to help you. Uh, but, you know, this is actually a sunnah, isn't it? It's in the Quran mm. that, you know, if things get to a very, very serious stage, mm. then 
<clears throat> the woman should bring somebody from her side, the man should bring someone from his side, and they can have some kind of mediation, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's one, one way to do it. Um, so I think in the Muslim community, we need to get away from feeling that there's any kind of taboo in um, seeking help, uh, yeah. because I'd rather people were seeking help right and yes sometimes that might mean sharing some uncomfortable stuff right uh with a third party but i'd rather you sought help and you resolved your issues and then you were a good you know strong family a stronger family after that than you made some kind of big decision and then later realized that actually I didn't really do my best, you know, mm -hmm. I didn't do my best to fix that situation. Right. That would be worse. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Of course. I just wanted to just finally add also uh, Fatima is that the people who are, mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, in the family uh, and in the community should be willing to, you know, assist in reconciliation if they are approached because sometimes like to go to those who they know and if they come to you you know you should think okay you know uh, let me try and help even if it means just listening mm. to both sides of the stories so we shouldn't shy away from helping to reconcile because there's a lot of reward in that definitely you know subhanallah so um talha um <clears throat> may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make our marriages strong make our families strong because family is the bedrock of the community right um, mm -hmm. And sisters, uh, uh, my message to sisters out there especially is, you know, take care of yourselves. <laughs> you know, a lot of the time uh, it's because sisters, we don't take care of ourselves. We don't um, take care of our own needs. We, we, act, we behave like martyrs in the family and then, you know, we complain, right? <laughs> the point is you've got to take care of yourself. You know what your needs are um, and create the structures and the, you know the habits and the the, the the structure around you that helps you to be the best the best you that you can be inshallah mm. uh, um talha we're going to move on to talk about uh raising a hafid right mm. raising a hafid so i know um talha that you have mashallah you have a son who um has memorized the quran i have a son who's memorized the quran Technically, I have three who started to memorize the Quran, and um, uh, one of them has completed his hifth. So, I just wanted to ask you about that journey. You know, like what made you want to raise a hafiz? Why should our viewers and listeners out there think of raising their children upon uh, this path? Of course, subhanAllah, um, uh, my. Uh uh intention to make my son a hafid started when i was in egypt when i saw how people they memorize the quran and how you know uh, it's the trend in many muslim countries for the young children to be attached to the quran and to be encouraged to memorize the quran and i remember when i was studying uh, myself in egypt um, i used to leave my son behind with my husband and there was a channel by michari uh, rashid al-fasi called the Afasi channel. And I would notice he was only one and a half years of age. He would really gravitate towards that channel and listen to some of the, you know, nasheed and some of the recitation. 
And uh, um, I thought to myself, it would be really good if he can become a hafiz. And of course, the you know hadith that we know where if the reciter of the Quran you know um, recites and he implements, then the parents of that reciter is going to be uh, awarded with the crown of light. And uh, that you know hadith was very um, much in my mind when I was thinking about pushing my son towards hef and uh, you know being a hafid and I think um, initially I thought myself like many of us you know in a very ideal way that you know when he's you know a toddler or when he's in primary school years he will go away in Egypt and he will you know memorize the Quran but of course things don't happen in an ideal fashion so I had to just make a start in UK and take all the opportunities that were available to help me in this journey to uh, make or encourage him towards the gift of Qur'an. Yeah, subhanAllah, for sharing that. Yeah, I think for me it was uh, similar in the sense that um, ever since I was a teenager, I, I heard, I was listening to talks, you know, by Shuyukh and they would be like really talking about the virtues of Hift and and so I knew when I had a son, when I had a child, any child, you know, it would, it, it, whether it would have been a daughter or son, I think I, I would have had the same uh, approach, but I happened to have a son. Um, I realized that it was such a huge opportunity, you know, mm -hmm. um, having this child from birth, it mm. was like potential, you know. And I was, yeah. I was trying to think of all the things that maybe I wish that I'd done, right? I'm not mm -hmm. saying that... You know, I'm not advocating that, you know, we we put onto our children all the dreams that we've had. You know, that's not what I mean. But what I mean is there's certain um, there's certain strengths that children have, right, mm -hmm. that they only have for a temporary amount of time. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously you can do HIF even when you're old, right, young or old. However, nobody can deny, right, that there's something special about being young and memorizing. Being young and learning a language even, right, yeah. is completely different to, you know, when you get past a certain age. So I think part of it was just realizing that, you know, this little toddler, he can memorize anything so easily, you know. Mm. Um, I really needed to make the most of those years um, of course but when you're teaching the child quran you know in early years uh it's like carving on stone later on it's like mm. carving on sand so of course there's a lot of you know opportunities to actually utilize when they're young and i actually when i was away in egypt i thought to myself well he's paying attention to this channel and he's liking the recitation of you know Mikari, so can actually introduce some of the you know um set uh, some of the cds by michelle rashid and actually the first um juz that i um introduced was juz amma like many people do it was by michelle rashid and i used to find that he was picking up you know and it was just done so informally you know when he was five i used to just put it on before going to sleep then i would do short surah and before I knew, you know, he was picking things up. And I remember when he was six years of age, uh, he completed Juzamma. And <laughs> I remember doing a little Juzamma party for him and his friends. And that's when I realized, actually, you know what? 
she can do it because when a child achieves one juz, you realize, okay, the potential, and then you carry on to the next juz and then the next juz. And as you progress, you know, the journey does get quite tough and there's a lot of tears, there's a lot of sweat, there's a lot of struggles, but it's worth it, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, definitely. Um, I think for me, I even started before birth because <laughs> I was memorizing Surah Baqarah at the time when mm -hmm. I was expecting. And I don't know, I just felt like the more I recited, the better it would be for my unborn child, you know. Mm -hmm. um, apart from the barakah, you know, just, yeah. I don't know, I've read a lot about, you know, how um, when the mother sings or when she makes any kind of sound, you know, yeah. the baby absorbs that. So, you know, I started from then, I would say. And, um, yeah, definitely. It's interesting me, you say this, Fatima, because um, I think mm. many people don't realise parenting actually starts in pregnancy. What you do mm. in pregnancy it really has an impact on your child that's, you know, going to be born. And uh, it just reminded me that you know, before Talha was born, I was actually going to lots of Tajweed classes and teaching Tajweed myself. And I was immersed in, you know, Quranic studies. And subhanAllah, it was like a natural progression. When he was born, I was thinking, okay, alhamdulillah, I've been teaching other sisters. Now it's my time to focus on my own son. There's nothing, yeah. there's nothing like teaching your own child because you know that, you know, every time he recites a Fatiha or Nas or whichever, you know, a, a surah yeah. that you, you teach, that's going to, inshallah, be one of your uh, Sadaqah Jariya. You know, it will continue even right. after you've gone. And I think just, especially just Amma, right? Um, you know, first of all, obviously, as a mother, it's really important that we know how to recite Quran, right? And uh, can like learn Tajweed properly because obviously the way we recite is going to affect the way our child recites. But once we do have that generally basic, decent knowledge of, you know, uh, recitation, I would say, especially Juz Amma, believe me, it's quite easy for a child to pick that up, mm. even in the car, you know, <laughs> if you've got Juz Amma playing, all the time, right? Or mm. even when they're playing in the morning. I remember uh, first thing in the morning, while my, this is before he could speak, by the way, mm. right? Mm. I would be, he would be playing and I would have Juz Amma on in the background. Mm. Uh, when I was putting him to sleep, I would recite, you know, Surah Naba and then slowly through go through the whole kind of, um, the whole Juz. And so what I felt was when he was old enough to actually memorize, like be able to recite, it's almost as if he already knew it. I know <laughs> it sounds really strange, yeah. but because all those early toddler years he'd been hearing it mm -hmm. um, so much, it wasn't mm -hmm. such a big struggle for him yeah. to actually say it once it, you know, yeah. recite it once, once he could. Yeah. Of course, the, the sounds that they hear, they get familiar with. And I think we underestimate yeah. how much toddler picks up from just listening to the sounds. And uh, I mean, we have a nursery mm -hmm. and uh, we see how children age two to three years of age, they would listen to a nursery rhyme and they would pick it up just like that. Imagine exactly. if you yeah. introduce short surahs like Surah Ikhlas, Surah Nas, Halaq, they can just pick it up because 
they are designed by Allah Azza wa Jal yeah. to be able to learn and understand. At that age, especially. Yeah. Their yeah, brains are like age. hardwired to memorize. So, Of course, of yeah. course. I mean, I look at some of the, you know, children like from non-Muslim families, you know, they, they exert, you know, time in learning piano, you know, ballet, all these different, you know, things yes, that they do exactly. for the dunya sense, you know. It really doesn't, yeah. if you think about it, you know, it doesn't have much fun either. But they are passionate about no. it. But what about us, subhanAllah, you know, learning yes. how to recite, you know, Hif Quran, that doesn't just give you barakah in this life, it gives you barakah in the afterlife as well. In fact, it determines your station in the afterlife. Why wouldn't we, you know, exert our energy and, and our time and money and effort? The reason why I say money, because Sometimes, you know, you, you have to spend, you know, a uh, lot of money in tuition, in, in, you know, classes because you need to outsource. And, and, and that's, that's a good, you know, well spent in the way of Allah. Um Talha, I'm writing an article at the moment about raising a hafiz, right? And I've got six, six kind of points. Uh, that I'm going to highlight in the article mm -hmm. is like a framework, six points. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to share those six points with you. And I want to know what your thoughts are when I say mm -hmm. those six points. Okay. Inshallah. And, and tell me what your experiences are with those. So number one is vivid vision, vivid mm -hmm. vision. And what I meant by that is, what I mean by that is that somebody in the family, especially one of the parents, especially, has got to have that kind of very clear vision that mm. we want to do this and we want to take it right till the end, you know, um, in order for the hift to be successful. What would you say to that? Absolutely. I think um, this goes without saying, without a vision, you can't really achieve your goal of uh, making your child a hafiz. You know, having that intent, that near, you know, uh, along with the vision is very important. Why do you want your child to become a hafiz? You know, and of course, we know a lot of baraka comes about because of your near. The more sincere your intention, the more baraka you will feel in the pursuit of achieving such goal. So yes, definitely having that vision. And I, I think um, the vision mm. is more powerful if it's from a mother, because I find in our history, you know, uh, when we look at mothers like uh, mother of Imam Bukhari, you know, she had that vision. She had that foresightedness that I want to push my son towards ilm and, you know, scholarship. So she was doing everything within her means and she was a single mother. So I think uh, we don't under, you know, uh, we, we underestimate the vision of a mother in particular, having that kind of focus. I mean, the other day we were talking about, you know, um, the journey and uh, it is known that many hafid become hafid because of the vision of their mothers. SubhanAllah, yes. Jazakallah khairan. And also, you know, just that person also has to have in their mind the whole, you know, the ahadith about how, you know, the mahir, the one who is an expert in reciting Quran and memorizing Quran will be with the angels on the day of judgment, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Somebody has to have that vision in their mind in order to carry it through, especially through the, the hard times, right? So that's the first one. The second one is firm foundation, right? And what I meant by firm foundation is I feel that although it's great to like get children to memorize, okay, 
I think it's really important when they're slightly older or old enough to, along with that memorization, okay, of the last juice, for example, if you're going to start with the last with the last juice, also accompany it with the firm foundation of being able to read Arabic properly. And also, I know that this might sound extra, but to also study Arabic as a language. Um, I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Mm, definitely. I think, um, uh, again, you, know, you see in the society that we live in, you know, some families who are from, say, Southeast background, Chinese background, they would encourage the children to learn Mandarin. You know, some like uh, sisters who are from France, yeah. they would encourage the children to learn, learn French. Similarly, for the Muslim uh, community, one of the languages that we should encourage our children to learn is Arabic. And uh, Alhamdulillah, mm. there's so many opportunities for them to learn the Arabic language. You know, we have madrasas, we have institution, we have online institution. So yes, yes, definitely giving them the best start because when we were growing up, maybe we didn't have those facilities. You know, our parents may not have had the similar exposure to knowledge and you know facilities like we do. Alhamdulillah. So yes, definitely encouraging yes. them towards you know Arabic language and, and yes. also. I think the, the other reason why I emphasize that as, as a firm foundation is that, number one, it's ac it actually helps to keep uh, the child motivated, okay? Because the more they can actually understand as they get older, the more kind of it means something to them, right? The, the Quran and the words that they're memorizing. But mm. the other thing is it will just make the whole hifth process easier because mm. at some point you don't want to be the one who is constantly sitting with them getting them to memorize, right? You want them mm. to have a little bit of independence as soon as possible in terms of being able to read, being able to read fluently. Um, and also, I think one of the things that I consider to be a firm foundation is that we should get our children, along with their hifth, to read the Quran beginning mm. to end at least mm. once, you know, during yeah. their childhoods. Uh, because the, the first of all the the baraka from that you know the fact that you know every letter is rewarded but also mm -hmm. because having completed the entire quran you know they will be excellent at reciting and reading inshallah so mm -hmm. you know I, I i think that would make a firm foundation the third point is disciplined action so obviously you know doing here takes discipline and it's like a a daily, weekly, monthly, you need to have goals, uh, you need to have some kind of system, right? Or some a teacher who can manage that system in place. Yes, I think um, routine uh, is very important and uh, having this uh, repetition, it may not be fun thing to do, but uh, progress only comes about when you do something over again and again. And of yeah. course, you need to be disciplined in order to have that in your um, yeah and i think and i think the other thing that i mean by that is you know like sometimes we think when we first when we face the first obstacle we think oh we can't carry on but mm. the point is not that you're not going to face obstacles you will face obstacles but the point mm. is can you even once you face an obstacle pick yourself up and mm -hmm. and keep going you know maybe change mm. your strategy but you just have to keep going in a disciplined manner to yeah. have that daily action. Yeah. 
in that you know um uh, on that note i would say uh, mothers would play a role like a coach you might find your child will stumble and feel deflated because he's having difficult with certain passages and mothers have to be and i know it's not easy to do because i've been there myself you know it's easy to get frustrated it's easy to lose your cool but you have to remember by doing that it's not going to really help and aid the child you know you might even put the child off you have to be that kind of coach who's uh motivating but not too pushy that you push the child off the edge you know motivating but encouraging right. and and having that belief you can do it come on you know the way coaches uh inspire and motivate the athletes you know they try to push the athlete to a point where they reach their potential but not too much that they break the athlete so we have to play a role like a merciful coach with our son <laughs> because you you are you're you're basically you know you want them to succeed so you have to be mindful the comments and the will you speak to them is going to either make them or break them yeah so you've you've covered the next point which is uh, for me maintain motivation so you've got to find ways to maintain the motivation over that period of time right whether through parties um just celebrating it you know mm -hmm. celebrating each milestone right mm -hmm. um and actually having those one-to-one -one talks with your child you know about mm -hmm. why we're doing this what the benefits of it are going to be and how one day they're going to look back and be so glad that they did it right yeah <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the last two points are integration okay integration and lifelong revision so what i mean by integration is you know once they're memorizing quran it's really important because obviously a memorizer of quran alone is not going to be somebody who's necessarily going to go to jannah right the quran wasn't just sent for us to memorize mm -hmm. it's for us to integrate it into our lives right yeah yeah and so what i meant by integration is uh, you know, doing things like, for example, actually studying the Quran with them, the stories mm -hmm. in the Quran, uh, mm -hmm. pointing out like when they're memorizing a particular surah, actually the lessons, you know, the benefits from that, or what certain words mean, and you know, like mm -hmm. so, so that they can then internalize and integrate what they're memorizing into their personality. Mm. I couldn't agree with you more here because I remember there were times where when uh, things were going a bit slow, I used to just break into some explanation, mini like storytelling in the different passages of the Quran as he's memorizing, you know what this right. passage means. And, I, you know, if I was aware of the tafsir, you know, I would just go into the explanation and it was just like a nice break from the hift, but just to look at the meaning behind what he's memorizing. And when you do yeah. that, it kind of gives you a lot of life behind the ayat that you're memorizing or revising. So yeah, you have to, you know, um, take the time to know what the meaning of what you're reciting is. And Alhamdulillah, if Chad has the foundation of Arabic language, it helps him to also understand what is he actually memorizing and not only understand it aids him to memorize certain ayat because he knows okay this is what i'm reciting and it's making sense because he's trying to interpret or translate it in his mind so everything that right. you mentioned it actually complements the whole journey of uh, memorizing and learning the quran and 
definitely understanding the stories and the you know uh, uh, meaning of what Allah is saying to us, the examples, the parables in the Quran. Some of these parables are amazing to discuss the parables because then you know it's not just ra'a, you know, it, there's more yes. in what you mm. are learning and definitely you have to take the time out to do that because subhanAllah, you know, study of the Quran, you know, it's like an ocean. The more deeper you go, the more gems you pick out, you know, and I think mm -hmm. it's nice to experience that with your child to, to pick these beautiful gems. So, so, and my last point was lifelong revision. Uh, I wanted to ask you, Um Talha, like, how do you hope now, now that your son has memorized Quran, what do you plan or how do you hope to maintain that kind of, because obviously memorizing Quran is hard, <laughs> yeah, or it kind of takes, it's a challenge to get them through that initial memorization right and revision of the first the first time they memorize it and revise it but then obviously there's a whole lifetime right of mm. of keeping the quran so mm. what do you think you're going to be doing or what are some of the practices you've put into place that will help your son with that inshallah one of the things that we um Try to promote in our homes is the importance of having Quran like a companion. So that means, you know, re revising the Quran regularly, daily basis, you know, mm -hmm. and having that, you know, connection with the Quran. Quran is like a friend where it guides you and it, you know, advises you through the different, you know, phases of life. So a muraja for a hafid is a lifelong commitment. No matter what he's doing, whether he's studying, married, working, traveling. Uh, have to, he has committed to that, you know, a book, and therefore he has to protect in order to, for him to be protected by the book. And that relationship is a continuous one until you know they vis visit their grave. So I, I often talk to Talha about the importance of you know being the you know uh, people of Quran because they're the special type of people. And in fact, I was asking him the other day, you know, what made you? Obviously, as parents, we push them towards you know hifth, but children have to want to learn themselves. Otherwise, it's not going to happen because they are a different individual and they have to make the decision as well that they want to memorize otherwise you're just you know uh, banging your head against a wall you know you don't have to be compliant to that vision as well they have to comply so um he was saying that the the, the thing that made him want to you know learn the quran was that hadith you know where you know the prophet was saying that amongst the man there are special type of people and uh, the companion is who are the ya rasulullah and then the Prophet said they are the Ahlul Quran, they're the people of Quran, they are the special type of people because they are the people of Allah. So um that was one of his motivations to want to know and learn and, and become a hafid. I think um if we remind our sons that you know what, in order for you to be VIP, you have to keep the muraja up and you have to continue with the revision because revision is not you know as exciting as learning you know a surah for the first time there's a lot of excitement but revision is a you know essential part of keeping up with the yeah it's mm. maintenance it's maintenance subhanallah so alhamdulillah the points that, that i mentioned number one vivid vision number mm -hmm. two firm foundation 
I'm just mentioning it because I know sisters are, inshallah, and brothers writing writing these down. Um, number three, disciplined action. Number four, integration, integrating the Quran in your personality. Number five, maintaining motivation throughout the Hifth journey. And uh, number six, lifelong revision. So those are my kind of six, uh, I would say, my six-point framework for uh, raising a hafiz. <laughs> mm -hmm. And um, I hope, inshallah, you know, that that motivates parents out there because, um, you know, even the parents of a hafiz are going to be honoured on the Day of Judgment, right? Inshallah. Of course, of course. Um, if you allow me, I just want to mention some practical tips because when I was... Uh, yeah going through the journey of Hift with my son, I really appreciated learning from different sisters or different family members. Mm -hmm. What are Definitely. the practical steps so that I can also follow these steps? So some mm -hmm. of the practical steps I would say is uh, ask Allah, make this journey easy for you. Dua, dua of parents is something, subhanAllah, is so powerful. So you want your child to become a half ask Allah to make this journey easy for you and help you to accomplish this journey, accomplish this goal for you. Also, um, have a connection with the Quran yourself because child who is trying to memorize would like to, you know, would take inspiration from his parents. And if he sees that his parents are connected to the Quran, that will motivate him to be connected with the Quran. Uh, take whatever means available to you. It could be that you have a, you know, a madrasa nearby. Put the child in the madrasa. It could be that you are able to homeschool and you're able to give that one-to-one -to, -one to your child. Do it. It could be that you have online facilities. You have a very good teacher uh, online. Take that facilities. And don't think, okay, this is set in stone. As the child moves, you know, uh, into the, you know, um, uh, the uh, ajza, maybe you need to adapt and adjust, and that's fine because whatever works for the present moment, go with that. Don't think that okay, I'm just going to have online class for six months. What about the time afterwards? Don't worry about the time afterwards. Take each step as it comes, inshallah. Routine is very important. Is it going to be morning? Is your child a morning person? Then. Invest in the morning time. If you find that your child, you know, works better in the afternoon or evening, then go with that. Of course, many children, they learn better in the morning because morning is, you know, very, um, you know, a good time and a lot of barakah is in the morning. But maybe your child is different or, you know, slightly more inclined towards working in the afternoon. That's okay. A space for the Quran. It's very, very important. Even till this day, when I reflect, Talha he 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 revises in his room, sitting down. So it's very important that you create that specific space for your child to memorize. And they say that if the space is allocated, then it's easier for the child to be focused and concentrate and not to distract, distracted, distracted. With I would say, um, give your child. A mutaf that is personal to his uh, himself. So he memorizes and revises from one mutaf, and he doesn't change mutaf. So that's going to help him and aid him. Uh, yeah, I agree. And also, you can't look for the perfect solution all the time, right? So, like when we started here, I was like, "Oh, I wish there was this perfect masjid with the perfect teacher and." everything right but 
the point is that we were in northwest London, you know, it's hard to find any Hifth teacher at all. Mm -hmm. I, I got my son to memorize Juzamma, that was fine. But beyond that, I really wanted there to be a teacher because I knew that, you know, there's a certain dynamic, isn't there? Of course. Between, I think, also having a class, having boys, especially like together, having that kind of sense of um, camaraderie and, you know, that they're supporting one another. Um, no, actually, so, one yeah. thing that I, I, I should have added is that, you know, um, Sometimes when, when a child is put into a, you know, group of uh, children who are memorizing, that can actually mm. increase their motivation level. Not only yes. that, it can give them a competitiveness that is so healthy because they realize, okay, this child has exceeded me. I need to catch up with that child. Yes. That can be a very healthy uh, competition. Like Allah, he mentions in Surah Mutafiqin, يَتَنَافَسِ الْمُتَنَافِسُونَ You know, in that level, let's just compete. Because I think, I think children definitely thrive with a level of competition. And we should encourage that in, in, in Quran and in, in Arabic studies because right. that healthy competition will help them thrive. Right. That you can only achieve when you put them in a class full of other children who are trying to do the same thing. Definitely. And I think the thing to bear in mind is, look, it's this isn't you know sometimes people see uh, people memorizing Quran and they think it's just like a parrot fashion type <laughs> learning right but actually 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 if we bear in mind this that you know when a child memorizes Quran uh, there's a hadith isn't there that it becomes part of their flesh you know mm -hmm. the Quran yeah. becomes a part of them and the 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 one who memorizes and recites Quran is not like the one who doesn't, you know. Yeah. Not at yeah. all. And the home in which Quran is recited is not like the home in which it's not recited, right? Yeah. So I think it's really important to bear that in mind because I think just to mention this, the probably the most powerful motivation for me in getting my children to memorize Quran was. Uh, you know, as a mother, you look around, you you feel afraid, don't you, about this world, right? That your 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 children are going to be living in, that your your children are going to be raised in. Uh, there are all sorts of negative stories all the time, you know, about how children go astray, uh, mm. get into trouble, get into all sorts of things. And so, I think as a mum, I just felt like the one best thing, probably the best thing I could do was to make sure that my children had Quran in them mm -hmm. from a young age because mm -hmm. that would serve as a type of protection for them yeah. as well, right? <laughs> yeah, subhanAllah. So mm -hmm. I hope we've motivated uh, all the moms and dads out there. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's worthwhile. Nothing in Definitely. life is worth of value that doesn't require effort. And it does get easier, you know, as time goes by, I would say. I don't want to put anyone off. But what mm. I mean by it's not easy is that, look, there are going to be times when your child will be like, well, all the other kids are just playing, right? All the other kids are just watching telly or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, but you know what? That is exactly why you need to do it, because you're training your child to know that actually they're doing something that's more worthwhile right mm. than 
you know, people just wasting their time, etc. Right? Yeah. On that note, uh, Fatma, one thing I like to add uh, because I have noticed amongst my other friends whose children are hafid or hafid that is to give your child a level of normality, meaning it's okay for a hafid child to be having yeah. fun. It's okay for a happy child to be wearing nice clothes, <laughs> trendy clothes, you know, and not yeah. to, you know, box them in like, okay, they're going to be like a mini learners and they, they're they not going to have anything to do with the world. Because I have noticed that sometimes people have this stereotypical idea, okay, oh, he's a happy, then how come his, you know, hair is like this? Or how come he's, you know, wearing nice clothes? Being a half it doesn't football, mean that or he's into football. football or yeah, yeah. Or he's into, yeah. you know, like uh, traveling or he's into you know like gadgets and things you know yes it doesn't mean that you know you can't have other interests as well so Definitely, that's something yes. as parents we have to you know kind of protect them from being like you know uh, having that stereotypical idea that a half it is only going to be in a certain way you have half it in yes. all shapes and forms and it's okay because child <laughs> be you know who he is authentic to yes. himself at the same yeah. time be the bearers of the quran you know but i think that's very important for us mothers to very know important. that the child may have other interests and it's okay to you know nurture those other interests as well and yeah because i think when people it's when people go to extremes isn't it that of course that then trouble takes place because sometimes I, I have noticed or i had noticed when you know looking at other families sometimes um there was this tendency in some of our generation to try to make our children into some sort of robots, you know, <laughs> like uh, make them sort of, no, it's, it's, it's true. Like, you know, they're not allowed to utter a word that is out of place. They're not allowed to see anything that could be, you know, I don't know, you know, not the perfect yeah. image of a muslim you know what, yeah. what a muslim would see etc or etc etc you know and they're not allowed to mix with certain types of children it shouldn't be like that if you do that you'll create you'll you'll create a monster <laughs> you won't yeah. create, the the, the you won't create a rounded have, human being yeah you have to be mindful that any form of extremism it's not um uh, you can't maintain it for long you know violence yeah. is what we strive for and that's more, you know, sustainable. And that's what Islam teaches us, you know, the wasata, the balanced way. In fact, in fact, subhanAllah, yes, the balanced way. In fact, I would go so far as to say, the children who are doing hifth, we should give them even more right to enjoy themselves with the halal, right? Mm -hmm. They have even more right to do that, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, if, you know, that saying, work hard, play hard, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> we should allow them that if they're working hard, you're working hard, you're working towards this noble goal. When mm. it comes to halal things, you can also enjoy that fully, you know. Um, yes. And I don't think we should um, we should prevent them from feeling that they've had a real childhood, you know, had yes, fun, yeah. had, you know, if they're into football, like uh, one of the things I used to do is, uh, buy tickets to visit football stadiums, you know, <laughs> for my kids just to do a tour of their favorite football stadium, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. Things like that, you know, just let them have their other interests. Of course, we have to be mindful. There's uh, sat and wasa. There's time for this and there's time for that. 
And in that, you will create that balance for the child and the child realizes, okay, my life is not just this or just that. You know, variety makes life more, you know, interesting to live and, you know, more enjoyable. And that's where they can actually put their Quranic, you know, understanding into practice. Yeah, and also so that when as they grow older, you know, they do have a healthy lifestyle as well because, mm. you know, one of the problems of our times, isn't it, is the sedentary lifestyle. And you know, when you are a student or you're a scholar or you're a hafiz, you know, you have to sit down quite a lot to do that. Yeah. Uh, aside from that, you need to have physical exercise. You need to have, yeah. you know, other interests, other mental kind of intellectual pursuits, right? Mm-hmm. Um to keep you rounded, well-rounded and developed holistically, right? Yes, of course. Uh, one more thing that I would like to add is that, you know, um, subhanAllah, there might even be times during the Hifth journey that you want to actually take a break. And I know that people, like, they wouldn't like the idea of, like, taking a break because uh, you, you'll feel afraid that, okay, what if you just end up stopping, right? But look, subhanallah you know uh, you know your child the best right and when you see that your child is going through something or they're going through some kind of period where you know maybe they need a break even if it's a break of a day or if it's a break of a few days you know um i think it's better to take a break and then carry on rather than you know ending up giving up right one day Mm -hmm. so so I think it's really important to know, you know, what are, is this the right time for me to be kind of the sort of tough coach, you know, who keeps mm-hmm. pushing them through? Or is this a time for me to actually back off a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. because, again, we're not trying to force our children, we're not trying to, like, you know, control their lives or anything like that. It's This is about uh, coaching them, encouraging them and pushing them but, you know, in a balanced way through, um, you know, this period where there is going to be intense. Uh, but again, just like a coach, you've got to know when to push and when to kind of, you know, allow them to recover a little bit. Mm. Agreed. I think um, with that, inshallah, I hope um, people, some people, ways to pursue hift in their children's life inshallah and obviously the the points that you made are for could be a, applicable to our daughters as well as our sons inshallah of course, of course. well thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us and your advice um and inshallah i'm going to wrap up now uh dear brothers and sisters <clears throat> do share this episode with somebody who who you think will benefit inshallah uh do you like the video and uh you could always subscribe to our channel as well as subscribing to our podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts mm-hmm. so once again um talha i'm gonna say salam to you and uh, i'm gonna uh, and i'm gonna bid our viewers and listeners farewell Jazakumullahu khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.
وعليكم السلام ورحمة الله وبركاته